0: Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. After months of build up, we're about, finally, to get the first actual vote in the US presidential election. The Iowa caucus takes place on Monday and is followed a week later by the New Hampshire primary. And joining me on the line from Iowa is our White House correspondent, Courtney Weaver. And on the line from Washington is Edward Luce, our commentator. But Courtney, first, since you're on the ground in Iowa, We're about a week away now. Do we yet have any idea or clear idea who's going to win the Iowa caucus and get off to a flying start in the U.S. presidential election?
1: Well, I think on both sides of the race, both the Republican and the Democratic side, it's really a race between two candidates. On the Republican side, that, of course, is Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. And on the Democratic side, it's Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders. And what you have is both Trump and Sanders represent these sort of anti-establishment outsider candidates. But they also have very unreliable caucus goers among their supporters. So these are a lot of first-time caucus goers. And the question is whether they can get these caucus goers to go out and actually vote for their candidates.
0: Because caucusing is actually, it's a, it's a real commitment, isn't it? It's not just like showing up and uh, casting a ballot.
1: Exactly. So it's different for both sides. But both of them require, you know, a couple of hours at a local caucus place, which would be at a school or another public area. And with the Democrats, it's, it's, you have to go in person you have to basically stand in one side of the room and convince others to come to your corner, and the Republicans, at a secret ballot, but also requires a lot of time.
0: And you went to see Bernie Sanders do a rally in Iowa, I think, was it yesterday or today? Give us a sense of how he's doing. I mean, he's just as an outsider, he strikes me as, maybe this is ageist of me, but terribly old to be running for president. He's, what, 74?
1: Seventy four years old, exactly. I mean, I think it's very interesting when you look at his support base. It's a lot of young people and it's most of them are, you know, quite aware that it's ironic that it's a white seventy four year old male who's representing this, this anti establishment outsider politics and who's seen as this vision of change even though he's been in politics for decades. But his supporters are really rallied up and I think it's surprised the Sanders campaign and Sanders himself, the extent to which people are really, you know, listening to his message and ready to go out there and to vote for him.
0: And last question before I turn to Ed, but I mean, is his message still, does he still describe himself as a socialist? The idea that America might seriously consider electing a socialist as president also seems quite remarkable.
1: Right. Well, he prefers the term socialist Democrat. But I think it's interesting when you go and you talk to his supporters, a lot of them don't really fit um, in the category of a typical Democratic voter. I was talking to one man yesterday who says he's a fiscal conservative, but he's tired of seeing so much money wrapped up in U.S. elections, and he thinks that the U.S. government is corrupt and that it's a bloated budget. And so, even though you know he is describing these programs like universal health care and other stuff that might seem socialist to some American voters, I think people are really sick of what they're seeing in Washington. You know, they're sick of politics as usual there, and for them, Sanders represents this new voice, this new movement.
0: And Ed. Perhaps we should congratulate ourselves. We managed to do the first few minutes without really talking about Donald Trump. But he does loom over the election. He still does seem to be the big story. And yet he's gambled by not taking part in the last debate before Iowa. Where do you think the whole Trump phenomenon stands at the moment?
2: Well, his decision not to attend the last debate before Iowa, the Fox News debate Thursday night, you know, again, keeps him in the headlines. And that's really his principal goal, is to always be in the headlines, is to always be at the forefront of voter consciousness, to win the sort of celebrity ratings game, which he's been a past master of for three, four decades now. Uh, He's holding a simultaneous rally in Iowa with veterans whilst the debate is going on. And so you will have this split screen moment that you can then measure the ratings numbers of, Trump being Trump. If he gets more viewers than the debate does, he will consider himself to be the victor. Now, I think, frankly, what happens on the ground in Iowa, particularly in Iowa, because as Courtney says, it's a caucus state, not a normal voting primary state, will be the real test of whether getting high TV ratings means you get lots of votes. And to be brutally honest, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen on Monday night. It's a very elaborate process, the caucus. It requires a lot of time commitment from voters. You know, you've got to come out on a wintry, snowy evening for at least two hours and go through all these processes to decide your candidate. And with Trump supporters, there is a big question mark. You know, they might be using the remote control in his favor, but are they prepared to give up their evenings? So that's the big test. His chief rival in Iowa, Ted Cruz, has taken a more conventional route, and he's embedded himself with the churches, with the evangelical organizations, and with the kinds of groups that can do caucuses in their sleep, and who demand, you know, time from their members, from their congregations once a week, if not more, anyway. So it's, you know, an organizational ground game of the traditional variety as practiced by Ted Cruz versus this new kind of Berlusconi sort of politics that Trump is betting on.
0: And Ed, I mean, how much faith or how much attention should we be paying to Iowa and New Hampshire as key indicators of who's actually going to get the nomination? Because thinking back, I mean, I remember, I think Mike Huckabee won the Iowa caucus at some point, And I remember being in New Hampshire when Hillary Clinton won it and it looked great for her, but she ended up losing the nomination to Obama. So although at last the soap opera is really beginning, are these going to be determinative, do you think?
2: Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. I mean, on the Republican side, Iowa tends to be an outlier. As you mentioned, Mike Huckabee won it eight years ago. John McCain then went on to win the Republican nomination. Four years ago, Rick Santorum won it. A Catholic social values candidate, and Mitt Romney went on to win the nomination. Pat Robertson, the televangelist, has won it in the past. So Iowa tends to be an outlier, but for Republicans, New Hampshire tends to be a much better predictor. And Donald Trump is heavily in the lead there. You mentioned Hillary. I think we were both there, in fact, eight years ago when Hillary surprisingly won New Hampshire after Obama had swept the field in Iowa a few days earlier. It's sort of touch and go. It really isn't such a good predictor for Democrats. But for what it's worth, Bernie Sanders is at least level pecking with Hillary in both states. Again, for caucuses, Sanders is more like a sort of Trump kind of candidate. He gets a lot of enthusiasm, particularly from students in Iowa and elsewhere. Whether that translates into actual caucus victory is another question.
0: Now, Courtney, one theory I've heard is that Sanders might do very well in, in Iowa, New Hampshire, win one or the other, maybe both, but that when it gets to the big states and the more racially mixed states where there are a lot of African-American voters and also where organization and money will matter more, Hillary will essentially roll over him. Do you think that's convincing as a piece of analysis?
1: Yeah, I think that's a popular theory and what the Clinton campaign is banking on. I mean, what Sanders maintains is that, you know, he was the underdog going into this race and it's just taking a while for different demographics and different groups to hear his message. I think the big question for both the Republican race and the Democratic race is if, for instance, you see Sanders take Iowa and then New Hampshire, that lends a lot more momentum to his campaign. And the same thing with Trump. You know, if Trump takes Iowa and then New Hampshire, he really will be the front runner in the race. You know, it won't just be polls anymore. So I think that even if Iowa and New Hampshire, they can be outliers, or especially Iowa, if one person takes both of them, that definitely adds a lot of momentum to their campaign.
0: Obviously, I've been watching this campaign from outside the country, but I must say that over the last few weeks, you've suddenly seen Informed America watches, if that's a category, going from saying, oh, no, well, obviously, this Trump thing is just kind of entertainment and he'll blow up, to thinking, my goodness, he actually. Not he could get the nomination. Now, people are beginning to think, actually, he will get the nomination. What's the view of you two and of the people you speak to? Courtney, first.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a real feeling now that Trump could actually get the nomination, which very few people were saying back in October. You saw a lot of this last week when you had the Republican establishment basically divided. Some people saying that Trump was a better option, the lesser of two evils between him and Cruz. Others saying that Cruz was the lesser of two evils. I mean, I think what shows how far Trump has come in the polls is just the reaction to his announcement that he would sit out the Fox debate on Thursday night, you know, which is the last debate before the Iowa caucus. If he had done this, you know, last summer, people would have said, that's it for Trump, what a big mistake. And now this time you actually had Pennett saying, wow, what a smart move, which I don't think you would have seen a few months ago.
0: Okay, we're just, we're coming to an end, but I hope you don't mind. Can I put you both on the spot? It's November. Who are the two candidates, do you think, that will be facing um, Courtney, I'll go with you first. What do you think?
1: I'm going to say Trump versus Clinton.
0: And Ed?
2: Well, at the beginning of the year, I predicted Clinton versus Cruz, but I'm leaning more towards Courtney's prediction.
0: It'll be Trump versus Clinton. Yeah. You sound delighted by that. As
2: a journalist, I am. As a citizen of the world, <laughs> I'm not quite so sure.
0: Well, OK, let me just end then, Ed, with a question to you. I mean, you've written books about... The sociology of America, how America is developing and problems around income inequality and so on. What does it say about the United States that they may, well, both of you seem to think that one of the major parties is going to nominate this candidate who was regarded a few months ago as a bit of a joke and who many people see as a demagogue and as a racist and so on. How do you explain the Trump phenomenon?
2: You know, I don't think it's fair to say that the people supporting Trump all agree with Trump's views um, that were necessarily nativist or necessarily even anti-immigrant, all of them. What I do think is fair to say is they see Trump as the best way of expressing their contempt for Washington and say, see, this is how low a regard we hold you in. We're going to choose Trump over you. And I've met a lot of Trump supporters who think like that. He's their middle finger to Washington. And I think it is associated with the sort of economic squeeze, particularly amongst white blue collar people, and the fact that he says, make America great again. You know, the past tense to that, the Reagan echo, but also that let's take us back to where we were. It's a sign of desperation.
0: Well, on that cheerful thought, Edward Luce, thank you very much indeed. And thanks also to Courtney Weaver. Look forward to reading and hearing what you have to say from Iowa and New Hampshire over the course of the coming weeks. That's it for this week. Until next week
2: Goodbye.